Well, thank you so much for praying for us last week. It came down to the wire. At 4 o'clock, my daughter called in the hospital, and she said, uh, they, the doctor said, if you don't have any more um, movement in the next couple hours, we're doing a C-section at 6 o'clock. I'm like, ah, so called some more people, and we just prayed fervently. And he came in around 6, and he said, well, I'm seeing a little movement. So he waited around 9 o'clock. She was dilated enough. She only pushed for 10 minutes. And little Grady Thompson came out. So praise the Lord. I feel so blessed and I'm so thankful. And it was, just a, a neat, it was just a neat testament to God's faithfulness and answers to prayer. But we also have um, a note of sorrow and sadness. And I want you to pray with me now. Um, one of our families, the Worthington family, Ken and Lisa Worthington, their 27-year-old son passed away um, Saturday night. So actually Friday night. So... Um, So we need to be in prayer for the Worthingtons. I'd like to invite you to join me as we pray. Father, you are the giver of life. Every child is a gift from the Lord, and we're so thankful. And Lord, we thank you for little Grady and others who are being born into this world. But Lord, it's just heartbreaking when a youngster leaves this world. No parents ever, ever want to bury their children, and we've had several in our church who have done that very thing, Lord, and perhaps that's one of our greatest fears. But Lord, you have given us promises, and that's what we look to today. In this this time of pain and sorrow, we ask that you will give extreme comfort to the Worthington family, to the um, parents, to Ken's sister, Samantha, and to all of their loved ones, Lord. May you give them hope, You said when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death that we can fear no evil for you are with us and your rod and staff comforts us. So Lord, would you be their comfort? Would you be their peace? It's a sobering reminder, Lord, that as you said in the Bible, our lives are here today and gone tomorrow. And that's why it's so important for us to be ready to leave this world. So Lord, just help our church to rally around them in prayer and comfort. And Father, as you said, when one member of the the body, the church family suffers, we all suffer with them. So our hearts grieve with them and we pray for them and with them that you will give them great grace in these days. And we thank you for hearing our cry. And we thank you for our children and all the times that you've spared us and our children. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 25. And if you don't have a Bible, it's all right. We anticipated that, so we brought some for you. We have plenty of extra Bibles, and just raise your hand. You're welcome to keep a Bible if you don't have one, or if you just need to borrow it today. We read verse by verse through the Bible, because the Bible is the Word of God, and we want to know what God has for us today, and He has a lot in store. This is a great passage, but we're going through Genesis, and we said that the theme is, is really God's desire to bless the world, to save this broken world. And we saw the creation, the fall, the corruption. But beginning in chapter 12, we've been looking about how God created this nation of Israel because it was through Israel that God was going to bring Jesus into the world. And so Abraham was God's chosen, elect, blessed father of the nation. And last week we saw God's providence in in Abram's life to get a wife for Isaac. Well, this morning, we're going to see God beginning to work in the life of Isaac. We saw in verse 11, 
it says that God, after the death of Abraham, blessed his son Isaac. And so that's going to unfold for us the blessing of God upon Isaac. So I want you to start with me at verses 12 through 18. And what we're going to see here is rather than start with Isaac's genealogy, we're going to start with Ishmael. And you might say, well, wh why Ishmael? He, 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 why is he in the picture here? Now, remember who Ishmael was. Years ago, back in chapter 16, remember, Abram couldn't have a son, and so he slept with his maiden, with his wife's approval, and they had this other son. And Abram's like, here, God, let him be the heir. And God said, no, Ishmael will not be the heir. But God did promise Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. So let's read Ishmael's genealogy. And it seems like uh, Moses intentionally is doing this. He'll go, here's the genealogy of the non-chosen, the non-people of God. And then here's Isaac, the chosen. And then he's going to go, here's the genealogy of Esau, the non-people of God. And here's the genealogy of Jacob, the chosen. So Let's read verse 12 through 18. Now, these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to him. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names. Now, as I read them, there's 12 of them. And it's really striking. Nahor had 12 sons. Abraham had 12 sons by Keturah. Now we'll see 12 sons born to Ishmael. Then we're going to see 12 sons born to Jacob. And we start to see this pattern. We come over in the New Testament. Jesus chooses 12 apostles. And so let's look at these 12. I'll, I'll read the names, but then there's a couple comments I want you to note. Nebaioth, verse 13, the firstborn. Kedar, Abdiel, Mibsam, Mishnah, Duman, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jether, Napshish, Kedima. These are the sons of Ishmael and their names. Now notice it says, by their villages and by their camps. And the reason it's going to say this is because what we'll learn about the Ishmaelites is they never were a settled people. They were nomadic. They, they, they weren't the ones who frequently built walled cities, but rather had these sort of nomadic movements. But notice it says there were 12 princes according to their tribes, and we'll come back to that. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last, and he died now notice it says he was gathered to his people. Now if you just back up a little bit, when Abram died back in verse 8, at the end of the verse it says, he was gathered to his people. But, but what I want you to see here is that, that we've, got, we've got a problem here because don't assume that we're all gathered to the same people. Abram was gathered to his people and then we read that Ishmael was gathered to his people, and we'll talk about the difference. But then there's a comment about these Ishmaelites, verse 18. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes towards Assyria. And then this little comment, he settled in defiance of all his relatives. Literally, it reads, he fell over against his brothers. And there's this seed idea that this guy is going to have constant conflict with his relatives. In fact, when God first predicted his birth back in chapter 16, God said that he would be a wild donkey of a man. Back in verse 12, God says, Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. 
and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Now, this is an ominous prediction of almost the rest of the Old Testament. The Edomites and the descendants of Ishmael are going to be constantly battling and struggling against the people of God. Now we come to Isaac. Now, these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Verse 19, Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian, to be his wife. Now, we're going to meet Laban later. Now, let's, let's just rehearse. God chose Abram, and here's Abram, and God says, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be the father of unspeakable descendants, nations and multitudes. You can't even count how many descendants you'll have. But Abraham doesn't have any kids. And, and Sarah's barren, and they go on and on and on until Abraham's 100, and Sarah's barren until she's 90. She finally has a kid. So we're thinking, okay, now that they have Isaac, okay, now, now we're going to get the ball rolling here. I'll bet you Rebecca's going to be, she's just going to be so fruitful. You know, she's going to have one kid after another. They're just going to multiply like rabbits because we've got to get a lot of kids here, right? But ironically, look at verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And you go, really? God, your chosen people who are going to be voluminous, the first one can't have kids. And there's this struggle for kids. And now the second one, Isaac, his wife can't have kids. And we read that he prayed, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, I want you to note verse 26. Look at the end of the verse. Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So sometimes verses can be deceiving because even faster than a than a one-hour television drama where you have the tension and the solution in an hour. In one verse, we have tension and solution. She was barren. He prayed. She conceived. End of story. But notice, they were married at 40. She didn't have a baby till 60. And what I want you to see here is, I would assume that she didn't start, he, he and she didn't start praying when she was 59, or when he was 59. Probably within a couple years, like, yeah, um, any news? Grandma's calling, you know, did, did, you, did you check the test kit? Is, is it blue? Is it pink? So I think early on they started to realize, we've got a problem here. So, so here's the point I want you to see. This is not something that this guy just said, hey, God, we can't have kids. Um, would you just give us some? The guy's like, sure, here you go, right? And, any, any of, and we've had numerous number of people in our church who have struggled even with this very issue of not being able to have kids. I want you to see something here, and that is that sometimes God's asking us and drawing us to pray persistently for a long time. And it's very easy to give up on that. It's very easy to go, man, I prayed, I prayed four years and nothing happened. And then we just kind of go, what's the point? Well, here, here we can perceive that perhaps it prayed for almost 20 years. See, this is a big deal in the Bible that persistence in prayer and staying faithful to keep praying is really important. Jesus said this in, in the Gospel of Luke. He said, men should always pray and not give up. Don't faint. Just when you think, ah, oh, I don't know if God's even listening. That's a time to pray more. I, I just prayed with a lady yesterday. Her, 
her son was having some deep issues. She's like, I just feel like God's not answering my prayers. And we were inside of a warehouse. So I said, well, probably because you're praying in a warehouse. You know, they're probably going on. I said, go outside and try praying. Well, I said, you know, think about it. God doesn't always promise us a quick answer. But, but I want to point out something interesting. The word that says Isaac prayed to the Lord is not necessarily the most typical word for prayer in the Old Testament. In fact, some of you, your Bible says this. We don't use this word, but it, but it says Isaac entreated the Lord, and the Lord, same word, was entreated of him. And so I did some research on that word, and I found that this is an unusual word. Um, some of you know that the, New, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and one of the similar languages to Hebrew is Arabic. And this word that's, that's pronounced atar has, has a similar Arabic word, atarah, which means to sacrifice. And uh, Bruce Walkie says, perhaps the Hebrew word here has a sacrificial basis that, that behind the idea of just praying, that, that it was an offering of a sacrifice with prayer. I want you to think about that. What's the connection between prayer and the offering of a sacrifice? Well, it's huge. Because whenever we pray and we're talking to God, the reason that God would listen to you or listen to me is because of the offering of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so one of the things the Bible teaches us is whenever you engage God in prayer, remember when you were a little kid, if you grew up in a Christian home and, and somebody did something really weird, they, they ended their prayer like this, and Lord, thank you for this day, amen. And you're like, he didn't say it. Didn't say what? He didn't say in Jesus' name. If you don't say in Jesus' name, it can't be answered because that's the magic words, like abracadabra, you gotta say in Jesus' name. Well, really, what, what Jesus meant when he said, if you ask anything in my name, he's basically saying, you're appealing to me as the sacrificial mediator. In other words, the reason why God answers your prayers is because of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not because you prayed loud enough, long enough, or hard enough. It's simply because Christ offered an acceptable sacrifice, and then he invites us. So whenever you spend time with the Lord, think about that as you pray. Dear Father, I'm coming before you, and you would listen to me and call me your child because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you for that. In fact, the author of Hebrews urges us to remember that. He says, since our great high priest has made that sacrifice, let us enter in with confidence into the presence of God. So keep that in your mind, that, that when you're entreating the Lord, you're appealing, God, I know you'll hear me because Jesus died for me, and therefore I'm blameless before you, and I can ask you things. And it is encouraging to know, and I know from my own experience, with, with the troubles that I've seen with, with my own family, my children, to know that, and, and those of you who've been at this a little longer, isn't God faithful? Say amen for our young people. Doesn't God keep his word? Isn't it important to just keep praying? You're struggling with a family, a child. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage or a health issue or something. You're like, I've prayed about this for 10 years. And God's like, don't confuse my, my patience with my absence. Keep praying. So, she conceived, verse 22. But then, this is really interesting. It says the children struggled together within her. Now, let's start with this. The children. I don't think she knew she was having twins. She didn't get the sonogram, okay? So at this point, she didn't go, why won't these two kids calm down in there? You're going to have to learn to get along, right? She didn't know that she was having twins. But the interesting thing is that this word struggle comes from the Hebrew word that means, it has a connotation of crushing, right? These kids are crushing each other. And unfortunately, her womb happened to be their playground. 
So she's taking a beat down. She's probably in enormous pain. It's not like any of you have been around a pregnant you know, loved one. And you go, oh, feel the baby kicking. Like these guys were wailing, right? They were, they were crushing each other. In fact, my, you know, we all want to kind of feel the baby. So Bethany would say, here, feel the baby kicking. Well, this baby, his feet are enormous. They're like rabbit's feet. I can tell my grandson's, he, he, I can tell how his feet were in the womb because they fold up on his shins. It's frightening. He fold his feet up on his shins and they almost touch his knee. And he's got long shins. I'm going, yikes. Even his sister, when she saw him, she goes, those are monster feet, right? <laughs> but it's one thing to get kicked by monster feet. It's another thing to have your children crushing each other in the womb. So much so that look what it says. And she said, is, if it is so, why then am I this way? Now that's a, a very puzzling phrase in the Hebrew Bible. It, it's almost like she's saying, why, why is it I? Literally, why, something like, why I, right? So, hello, the proverbial, why me, right? Haven't we all, at some point, experienced that same question, why me? Or, similar to that, some of you in, in hearing of the loss of a young person, why, why wasn't that me? Or, why wasn't that my child? This is, this is an incredible question. Why me? But notice what she did. It says, she went to inquire of the Lord. Okay? Now, that's a little bit different from he prayed. She went. So the implication, according to a number of commentaries, is that she went somewhere. Okay? And so there, there's a possibility that by this time in the history of, the, of this early fledgling nation that, that they understood that the place of the altar was where they would go to inquire of the Lord. And, and so there's this sense that, yeah, you can pray anywhere, but even as Christians are learning that, that Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, that there's a sense of the, the corporate presence of the Lord. So there may be a connotation that she went to, to some place, but here's the other thing. She, she went to ask why. Now, I hate when people say this. It's not ours to ask why. Right? Whoever came up with that stupid saying? Don't ever say that to people. That's not Christian. It's not ours to ask why. You're like, how do you know that? Because when Jesus hung on the cross, he asked why. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I assure you, God the Father said, Jesus, it's not yours to ask why. It's okay to ask why, but, but ask it humbly and ask it with this recognition that God may or may not tell you why. Now, in this case, God was very gracious. And, and, and it says, so the Lord said to her. He answered. He told her why, okay? So maybe you've been praying about something. In fact, that's biblical. In the book of James, it says, whenever you go through trials, some of you are going through hard times, you're going, God. It says in James 1, rejoice, knowing that it's building character. But then it says this, but if you lack wisdom, ask God. So it's fine to say, God, Please help me understand, why is this happening in my life? Are you, what are you trying to teach me? What, but understand that if he doesn't answer you, that I think what he's asking us to do is, will you trust me anyway? Do you trust my wisdom? As John Piper once said, if we knew what God knew, would we still be asking why? Right? So Jesus one time did this with Peter. He washed Peter's feet. Peter goes, you're not going to do that. And Jesus goes, what I do, you don't understand now, but you'll understand later. 
So if you're going through a hard time and you're asking God why, and you feel like he's not answering you, that doesn't mean he doesn't care. It doesn't mean he's not listening. He might just be saying, you'll understand later. There will be some things we'll never understand in this life. 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we live in a glass darkly, but then face to face. So I want to come back to that in the application because we all struggle with why me. So God gives the answer. This is really profound. Look at verse 23. Why, why am I being crushed inside me? Well, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, because two nations are in your womb and two people shall be separated from your body. Now, if he stopped right there, it would be cool. She'd be like, oh, I'm having twins. That's awesome. I'm having twins. It's so cool. He goes, no, but it's bigger than that. These two twins are very special twins. These are chosen twins that are going to be representatives of great nations, but they're also going to represent the people of God and the non-people of God and the conflict between them. And then God reveals something very, very profound. He says, one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Now, you think about little kids. And, you know, some of you know John Kuntz. He has a, a little son named Stonewall. And I said, John, what's up with that? He goes, I just read about Stonewall Jackson right before my son was born. I thought he was such a cool guy. I named my son Stonewall. And I said, yeah, we'll call him Stone, right? And he goes, yeah. Because, you know, think about a son named Stone. This is my son Stone. Look at his guns, you know. He's tough and strong. I said, John, but here's the thing. What if he's not like a strong kid? Like, what if he's, you know, not all boys are like, you know, manly man. You know, what if he's kind of laid back? He's not really a stone. He goes, well, I got a backup for that. He goes, we'll call him Wally. I'm like, oh, okay. You know what? That'll work, right? So, and by the way, no offense, Wally. You're a man, you know. So if there are any Wallys here. But, but the point is to be told, okay, one of these kids and these people are going to be stronger than the other. But the second one, this is really important. The older shall serve the younger. That doesn't happen. God just upset society in the natural order. In this time and in this culture, the firstborn son, he was the man. That's just the way it was. He was the chosen. He got the blessing. He got the birthright. He got more than everybody else. There was nothing about, it's not fair. And God did something very profound. He chose the younger one. And what we're going to learn later is he didn't choose him because he goes, now, this one, he's a good boy. That one's a bad boy, so I don't like bad boys, so I'm not choosing him. Entirely out of God's sovereign grace, he chose the second one to be born. He chose Jacob over Esau. And this is going to become a very profound truth in the Bible. Paul's going to quote this verse in Romans 9. Just like God said, the older shall serve the younger. And there's a lot of implications to that. Verse 24, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And you're thinking, okay, that's cool. She could see if she had twins. But wait, there's more. It was comical in the birthing room, right? Verse 25, now the first one came forth red. Now, the, the, the word for red is the word Adam. It's the word Adam, right? And you're like, well, he, he was Adam, he was red? Yeah, he was red. But not only was he red, he, he was all over like a hairy garment red. So, and this is a, a birth condition. Some children are born just hairy, right? Like hair all over them, right? But not just hair all over them, but red hair all over them. Like that's startling. Now, those of you who have been part of a birthing experience know that mom's kind of the last one to find out, you know? So, so I, can, I, can, I can hear poor Rebecca going, 
Is he, is it, what is it? It's a boy. It's a boy. What's he look like? Huh? It's a boy. Oh, he's, well, what's he look like? Does he have, he's, he's, he's got red hair. Oh, he's got red hair. Yeah, but it's all over him. He looks like a werewolf. He's, this is not normal, right? And interestingly, the, the word for hair, sear, is very similar to the Hebrew word for seer, Mount Seir, where Esau and the Edomites were going to live. So there's kind of a prof- prophetic significance here. So, so here he comes out, and one commentary said, red, red is the color of passion. And, and interestingly, Esau was a very passionate, um, rugged, um, outdoor-type guy who, who later we read in the next chapter. And his father, Isaac, loved Esau. But his mother loved Jacob. And you're going, wow, that doesn't seem fair. You remember that fair stuff? I heard a guy one time say, he goes, I knew I wasn't my parents' favorite, which every kid says that. He's like, well, why? He says, because my mom asked me to pass out cards to my brother's surprise birthday party. And I'm like, big deal. You know what? So he had to pass out the cards. He goes, we're twins. (laughs) So you're going, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a problem here. So... So God picked one of these kids over the other, sovereignly, okay? Now the one comes out hairy. The second one, again, this is unusual. If that's not enough, you know, entertainment, the baby's red and hairy. The next one, it says, afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. Now, the Hebrew word for heel is Jacob, and so they named him Jacob, and, and, and so we're going to find this significance to this name of Jacob because it began to, to take on the connotation of someone who grabbed someone by the heel. And, and I want you to think with me. When, when, when you grab someone by the heel, there's a couple things going on. Number one, you're sneaking up behind them, right? And you're not bringing them any good, right? You're bringing them harm. You're tripping them. You're, as, as some Bibles say, you're supplanting them, Okay? So to grab someone by the heel is, is an act of treachery and cunning. In fact, even Esau picked up on this. Later on, he says, rightly was he named Jacob because twice he stole from me my birthright and my blessing. So we see this ominous prediction of the character of Jacob. And then we read, oh, by the way, Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. And you're like, okay, this, this isn't your normal story, right? So what I want to do is I want us to, I, I wanted to go down the rest of the chapter, but as I was studying this week, I'm like, there's too much in this passage. So I want to just rehearse five or six things as, as we go back and, and sort of look at this. Number one, I just want to remind you of something profound but, but obvious, and that is that God is so faithful to keep his promises. So when it says in verse 16, 12 princes were born... I just want to remind you, back in chapter 17, God had said to Abram, by the way, Ishmael, your son, I will bless him, and he will become the father of 12 princes. Now, it kind of goes without saying, but that's just a, a helpful reminder. Sometimes it's really hard to keep trusting God because you're like, God, I know you said this, train up a child in the way you should go, but I'm not seeing it happen. So just remember God is faithful to keep his promises, and it's always a bad idea to, to, to fall into unbelief, to take things in your own hands, to disobey God because you don't feel like he's keeping his word. God is a great God. And the, the songwriter said, how firm a foundation 
you saints of the Lord, is, is laid for our faith in his excellent word. What more could he say than to you he hath said, to you who to Jesus for refuge hath fled. So whatever you're going through, God is with you. He promised that I'll never leave you. Whatever you feel like you can't endure, he said, I promise you, you could do all things through Christ who strengthened you. You say, this is too much to handle. He goes, I promise you, I will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. You feel like, you know, you've lost your salvation, you've done something terrible. God's promised you there's no condemnation. He hasn't given up on you. He said, I began a good work in you and I'll perform it until the day of Christ. So, so we just need to be reminded to trust God who's faithful to all of his promises. The question is, will we be faithful to him and trust his words? But secondly, I want to just talk about prayer for a few moments. Let's think about a couple of things that, that we learned in prayer. One, just a reminder. So as you pray, remember to think about the sacrifice of Jesus during your prayer. And to remember that that's really important because it's not how you view yourself that's most important. It's how God views you. Okay? So when you start to pray, there are people who go, I feel like I'm bothering God, or I feel like he's mad at me, or, or I don't feel worthy, like he knows what I just did yesterday. He, he, he probably doesn't even want to hear from me. He's probably mad. Did you see what we just sang in that, 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 that last hymn? Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, every time you pray, God looks at you as faultless and blameless and welcome. He's your father. He's not up there going, what do you want? You, didn't, you, didn't, you weren't a good steward with what I did last time. So rehearse that until it becomes part of your soul that you're going, God hears my prayers because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And then secondly, remember this, that God wants you to be persistent, okay? So the Bible says, pray without ceasing. So whatever burden that you've been praying about, you're like, this will never change. Don't give up praying. It's always too soon. I know from my own experience, there's times I'm like, God, are you even hearing? So, so just take courage this morning and just hold your ground, cling to God's promises, keep praying just like Isaac did probably for many years. And then third, if there's something specific like, like Rebecca did, inquire of the Lord. Lord, why is this happening? You're not a, God, God doesn't get mad when you say why. In fact, I think he wants us to say why. And he delights to give us wisdom. He delights to, to meet us and encourage us. But I even want to go a step further when it says she went to inquire of the Lord. There are times that God not only wants you to bring your burden to him, but there are times when it's, when it's wise to bring your burden to some other wise saints. The book of Proverbs says this, in multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, now let me qualify here. Don't throw it out on Facebook, right, for the world who will probably give you a bunch of moronic advice. You know, save, save the, the web. Don't overcrowd the web. Okay, and don't just find a counselor who will agree with you, you know, because you could do that. Matter of fact, it's kind of comical, you know. There's counselors like that. They'll just listen to you and charge you. You know, they won't say anything. They're not going to tell you, no, you shouldn't have done that, or God's word says this. You want biblical advice. So when you inquire of the Lord, ask him, God, you might not give me the specifics, but, but what principles from the Bible can guide me right now? 
you know, should I marry this person? Well, God's not going to give you verse, yes, marry this person, but, but he'll give you biblical principles. Are they godly? Do your parents agree? Things like that. Should I change jobs? Well, God's not going to say, yes, do this, but, but he'll give you principles like, will this glorify me? Will this make you able to be a better witness for me? Will this help you to be more involved in, in seeking my kingdom? So continue to inquire of the Lord and pray for great things. So that's prayer. The third thing is let's just remember that as Christians, this story here is a picture for us of conflict and struggle, okay? Those of you who were the anointed child, right? And I know all parents say, oh, I love you all equally, but somehow we probably had some sense of like, yeah, but it seemed like equally wasn't quite equally. There's a parallel here because this is, I don't think Esau, as he grew up, he was like, Jacob, I'm just really, I just want to say, I think it's really neat that God chose you. And even though I was the firstborn and I should have got the birthright, this is really great. I, I love how Bruce Walkie said it. He says, he goes, those who have been chosen by God should not expect the world to congratulate them. I'm like, yeah. In fact, listen to these words of Jesus. They're so profound. And, and it's like, Jesus, you, you nailed it right on. Listen to John 15. Jesus says, in John 15, write this down, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, now listen to this, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So here's the deal. Many of you are a believer in the midst of a family of unbelievers. And guess what? Not everybody's happy about that. And the reality is, Jesus said that. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But you're not of the world. I chose you. Therefore, the world hates you. So, so we have to understand that as Christians, we are a small minority on planet Earth. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And the fact is, there will be a hostility and aggression from the world towards us. Okay, that's normal Christianity. And if you don't want that, then you're not ready to be a Christian. Jesus said, you can't be my disciple if you love your mom and dad and everybody else more than me. He wants you to, to, to identify with him, right? And in identifying with him, he says, all who live godly will be persecuted. Don't be ashamed of me. They hated me, they'll hate you. But the cool thing is, is I go, but I'm chosen of Christ. And even if people don't understand me, I don't have to, I don't have, to have everybody's approval and favor. Now, it doesn't mean you need to be obnoxious, but so God chose Jacob. God chose you as a Christian. And pray for your family and love them. And pray for your friends and neighbors. But there will be hostility towards you, and that's okay. We can live with that because Jesus said it's going to happen. But then I want to move into a, a, a heavy, heavy doctrine here, and that's the doctrine of election. I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 9. When it comes to our salvation, Christians need to understand that the reason that you're a Christian is because God chose you, okay? But this is really important. He didn't choose you based on what you did or some condition that he saw in you. He didn't say, now looky there, that Tommy, he's a sinner, but deep down, I know that he, he's going to pick me. So, Tommy, I pick you. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says that all of humanity are children under God's wrath. All of them are blind. All of us are dead in our sins. All of us are born hostile to God. 
All of us are born away from God. Romans 3 says, no one seeks after God, not even one. So in this world of a condemned, rebellious humanity, God sovereignly chooses people. Nobody deserves it. The first time I heard that, I'm like, that's not fair. But go a little further with that. You want what's fair? You better prepare to descend rapidly, right? So God... In his sovereign purposes, the Bible reveals to us that if you're a Christian, it's because God sovereignly elected you. He chose you, right? And, and I realize there's a mystery to that. You're like, well, wait. Well, why didn't, why did, did he choose? Wait a minute, you mean to tell me God chose me? No, I didn't tell you that. He did. And so as Paul unfolds that in Romans chapter 9, he understands that we'll have objections to that. So he says in Romans chapter 9 to give an illustration. He goes, let me give you an illustration that if you're saved, it's because God elected you. He says in verse 10, not only this, but Rebecca, when she had conceived twins by one man, by our father Isaac, though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand. Notice, not according to works, but according to him who calls. It was said the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. See, I don't understand that. Why God sovereignly chooses to save people? Because the Bible says this, God's not willing that any should perish. God loves the whole world. He desires all men to be saved. But I think the Bible's really clear on this. If you're a Christian, it's because God elected you and he had mercy on you. You didn't wake yourself up when we were dead in our sins. He made us alive. He gave us faith. I was blind, but he's shown the light of the gospel into my heart. So I plead with unbelievers to get saved And if they don't get saved, it's their fault. But I also teach Christians, if you are saved, it had nothing to do with your merit. It was all the sovereign grace of God. Now that might, the first time I heard that, I I was upset. That's not fair. But Paul says, well, God can have mercy on whom he has mercy. No one deserves it. So, So there's a mystery here, but the doctrine of election is not designed to confuse you. It's not designed to confound you. It's designed to comfort you. We have been chosen of God and we're dearly loved. He called us according to his purpose. That's Paul's point in Romans 8. God's going to work all things together for good because he chose you. He called you according to his purpose. And so within the the, the seedbed of this Jacob Esau story, we see this understanding of sovereign grace election. Now, in fairness, I want to mention this. There are some Christians that don't agree with that. They believe that God just picks us because he knew that we would pick him. But this has been a a, a, um, recurring theme in the history of the church. Augustine pressed hard against Pelagius for teaching this. And Luther battled Erasmus over this very thing. In fact, Luther wrote a very profound book called The Bondage of the Human Will, in which he reasoned, how could an unbeliever in the bondage of sin come to Christ unless God called them. So, so the point I want you to see here is, don't go out of here with all these, oh, you know, but take comfort. And if you have questions, we'll talk about them. Pastor John, myself, we've got books for you to read. And I don't want you to believe it because pastor said it, but study the word. And note that God tells us that we have been chosen, and, and it's all by his doing. It says, it is by his doing that you're in Christ, that no one would boast in his presence, but that God would get even more glory. Not only that Jesus would love me and die for me, 
but that God would draw me to himself. And, and some of you might be thinking, well, what if I'm not chosen? But what if I want to be saved? I got great news for you. If you want to be saved, it's because you're chosen. So you want to settle that? Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Come to Jesus. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I won't cast them out. Come and believe, and you will be saved. But the Bible also says, make your calling and election sure. In other words, don't just go, ah, my mom told me I said a prayer when I was five. I could care less about Jesus, but I know I'm saved. In other words, awaken to him and trust him. Believe his promises and follow him. Two more things and we're done. I want to talk about this, this whole testing thing. Because it's really, it's really helpful to go, God, I'm just glad I'm not the only one like Rebecca going, why me? You know, if this is so, why me? And some of you are struggling with this, right? And I wish I could, I wish I could, could, could give you a simple answer. I don't know why, right? But I think what God's asking you to do is saying, do you trust me? He doesn't promise that, to say, here's why. It'll all work out in the end. He says, do you trust me? And I want to encourage you to cast yourself on Jesus. In the midst of your pain, your confusion, your darkness, you're not alone. It's okay to cry out to God, to complain, to pour out your heart to him, to beg for mercy, to beg for him to come and, 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 and carry you and lift you up. And he'll meet you. But just remember, you're not alone, and it's okay to ask why. But lastly, you know, I mentioned earlier, he was gathered to his people. He was gathered to his people. You see, when Jesus comes back, the Bible says there's going to be a great separation. There's only two groups. One group are called his sheep, and the other one are called the goats. And the Bible says, he will say to his sheep, Matthew 25, Enter into my kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But to the goats, he will say this, depart from me, cursed ones, into everlasting fire. And if at all you're still awake at this point, anybody who has any spiritual sense should be asking, how do I know if I'm a sheep or a goat? I want to be a sheep. Well, Jesus said that. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. You become a sheep of Jesus because he died for you. But you don't become a sheep of Jesus by osmosis. You don't become a monkey by going to the zoo. You don't become a Christian by going to church. You become a sheep of Jesus when you come to him. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd of your souls. You come in faith. You come to Jesus and you say, Lord, I get it now. I thought I had to be a good person. Or I didn't care about you before, but I do now. I want to be one of your sheep. And, and he freely forgives you. He doesn't say, clean up your act. You come as you are. You come to the great shepherd. And he welcomes you. Jesus says, all who come to me, I won't cast them out. Don't worry about what anybody's thinking. But if you've never come to Jesus, then you're a goat. And you're going to perish. But it's not because he doesn't love you and he doesn't draw you. He doesn't want you. But there's, a, there's another way that you can kind of look at this. Some of you go, oh, I already did that. I know I'm one of Jesus. This is what Jesus said about a sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So you know, my son-in-law and my daughter live with us, and they got two dogs. My son-in-law, each night, will let out the dogs one at a time. And, and, and if he doesn't, then I do. And we both have the same problem. He's got one dog that won't listen to me, and my dog won't listen to him. 
so frequently we'll go, go get your dog, right? This morning, he's like, I can't get your dog. I opened the door, I said, Huxley, come here. He ran right in. But you know what? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, right? So one of the ways you can know if you're one of his sheep is not because you raised your hand, but because you do believe in him so deeply that you're willing to follow him. You didn't just say, give me some hell insurance, Jesus, so I can follow myself and live for this world. But Jesus, you died for me to bring me to God. I want to follow you. Do you, do you sense that in your heart? I'm not asking you, are you a great Christian who prays for hours and witnesses to the world? I'm asking in your heart of hearts, do you want to follow him? And, and do you want to follow him not because you did something, but because he loved you? The Bible says we love God because he first loved us. He's not asking you to follow him so you can earn your salvation. He's asking you to follow him because he paid for your salvation. Could you say amen? You're falling asleep on me. Okay? These are important truths. So if you're not sure that you're one of his, you come this morning to Jesus. And let's pray that God will continue to build this church as we minister to one another until he comes. Let's pray. If God has spoken to your heart this morning and you want to become one of Jesus' sheep, you want to be gathered to his people, then right there in your seat, the best you know how, just tell the Lord Jesus, Jesus, I believe in you and I'm ready to follow you. Would you please forgive me? I thank you for your sacrifice and I praise you for accepting me. And if you're a Christian this morning, whether it's been a year or 50 years, just take a moment to thank the Lord Jesus. Thank him not only for dying for you, but thank him for choosing you out of this world. And then whatever burden you have in your heart today, give it to Jesus. Maybe you need to ask him, why me? Through your tears, he hears your sorrow. He hasn't forgotten you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will minister your presence deeply to your flock and that we will grow together in Christ. Again, we pray for the Worthingtons as they grieve and ask, why me? May you be a great comfort to them. Thank you, Jesus, that you're coming again and one day you'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. But for now, we praise you we praise you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Give us courage to claim your promises. Give us love to go out and serve our family and serve this fallen world. And Lord, we pray one by one, more and more people will come to Christ and that the kingdom of God will be multiplied and that many people will come to faith because of our people and their ministry as they minister to their friends and neighbors, strangers and coworkers, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Pray for Benjamin, our worship leader. Be sure to be here next week. He will be leading our worship.